Hi, I'm Stacy. I love talking about how to know and live out God's callings in our lives, preferably cozied up with steaming beverages in comfy armchairs. You can head to my website, stacysummero.com, for more on discernment. That's S-T-A-C-E-Y-S-U-M-E-R-E-A-U.com. My little son, Raphael, has started saying that to me when I come in to get him from his crib in the morning. Hi. I realized that he got it from me, and it's really funny to hear my voice echoed back to me by my own child. Isn't that funny? So I'm sitting here recording this episode, and I'm literally watching Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris burning to the ground, and I am so devastated. But somehow, it seems ironic that I'm working on an episode about breakups and watching Notre Dame Cathedral burn. So I have an excellent guest today who is actually going to make this topic a lot more fun than watching Notre Dame Cathedral burn. Lisa Cotter, you've probably heard of her. She's a nationally recognized speaker, um, and she is the one of the hosts of the How To Catholic podcast, as well as the author of Dating Detox, which is an incredible book that I recommend for everybody, even old married people like myself. So we're going to be talking about how to know when the relationship is over. Breakups are hard. They're the worst. We are such a bundle of physical and emotional desires and dreams, and we have so many options, and we furthermore live in a culture that glorifies the wrong vision of love. So we're going to be getting really honest and getting a lot of clarity from Lisa. We talk about some of the philosophy behind um, a good discernment process for a breakup. We talk about how to handle fear, how to know if you're being used or loved, and also how to know if you are using or loving someone else, right? And we also talk about what to do when you've been projecting qualities onto your partner that they, in fact, do not have in real life, and whether or not that spells the end of the relationship. So enjoy, and let's get to it. Lisa Cotter, it's a pleasure to have you with me on Call the Caffeinated. Hey! Hey! Yes. How's it going? It's great. I'm here. Thank you so much for your time and your wonderful book, Dating Detox, which I have been really enjoying, even though I'm not planning on doing a dating detox myself because I'm married. <laughs> That's legit. I, you get a pass. <laughs> yes. But I still got a lot out of the book, and I highly recommend it to any young people who are maybe struggling with um, the question, is it time to break up, which is what we're talking about today. I know. It's such a cheery topic, too. I know, isn't it? But you know what? If anyone can make it fun, it's you. Ah, we will. We will make it fun. <laughs> yes, and very real. So uh, what calls have you received from God in your life so far, and what have those calls looked and felt like? Yeah, so uh, surprising. That's how all the calls have been. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's always been a surprise. I mean, just the fact that I'm a Catholic speaker is a surprise. That was never my intention with my life. I thought I was just going to be a mom, which was one of my earlier calls. I got married straight out of college and a year later we had a baby. So, wow. so that, yeah, that was my call to the married vocation was, was early in life. I was 22 when I got married, 23 when I had my first wow. baby. Yeah, I know, which is even crazier as time goes on. I think the average age of marriage is like 27 now or something. Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, so um, 
got that call early and then a surprise call to do public speaking and even writing the book, um, Dating Detox. I don't consider myself a writer. It's not something that just brings me joy and I'm like, I just can't wait to write. No, I, I remember finishing my last college paper and thinking, oh, thank God I never have to write again. Jesus, wow. you're wonderful. And then he <laughs> called me to write a book and I'm like, oh, seriously? But wow. I, it was really strong on my heart to write the book. It was definitely a call to do that. And he gave me the grace and he, he definitely worked in that process. So mm-hmm. often times it's a surprise. Yes. And, and I think that's true for so many people. You know, you look at what people do out of college and like at least 50% of the time they're doing something other than what their college major was. So mm-hmm. clearly surprises are a big part of life. I'm curious, how did your, how did the speaker call find you? Was it people telling you like, Hey, you need to speak on this? Or I, I think you said you were involved in focus. And so you, you know, that did it come through that where people were like, let's, let's just give you a microphone. How did that come to be? Yes, it did come through focus. So we used to, okay. So Kevin and I, my husband, we spent 11 years in focus. We just retired this summer. And during that time in the early days when it was just the focus conference before it was seek conference, mm-hmm. this was 2010. They didn't have a ton of funds because they were still building up the conference and focus was still kind of a baby organization and 12 years mm-hmm. at that point. And they would ask staff to submit breakout session proposals and give talks and they don't do this anymore. But so I submitted a talk because there was something going on on the campus that we were at, which was Benedictine college where people were talking about this whole idea of like emotional chastity, quote unquote, um, just the buzzword for it. And that's something that we had talked about when we were in college and it was this big buzz topic. So I ended up giving a talk to the focus guys, like the student leaders involved in focus Mm. on what it was. And then I submitted that talk to conference and they accepted it. They were like, great, a girl who's willing to give a talk to a bunch of college men. And I had never really like, I'd never publicly given a talk before. Like my, my face had never been in a program or I I had to like write a bio. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to (laughs) say. I'm in focus with my husband. Like that was, that was my bio. Um, I have children. So so I did that. It was two times back to back, 600 men in each session. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I got a $35 thank you card for the whole thing. Oh my gosh. Which we promptly spent on dinner because mm-hmm. we were, you know, we were in Orlando for that conference and that was, that was the end of that. And wow. then Lighthouse Catholic Media was starting a new CD of the month program back when they used to do CDs of the mm-hmm. month and yep. they needed content quick. And so they asked focus can we have some of your top talks from Mm. that year's conference and because anytime a girl is going to tell guys about the secrets of girls they're going to love it like it doesn't matter what you say they're just like thank you for telling me something because I'm so lost so that was one of the (laughs) top uh, yeah so that was one of the top talks from seek and they reviewed it and they said hey can we turn this into a cd so all of a sudden like my talks in the backup churches and I'm getting phone calls with people asking me to come speak at their events. And I'm like, I don't do this, but I mean, I can like, mm-hmm. they're like, how much should we pay you? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I just, you know, so anyways, it yeah, just it organically awesome. grew. And there's some more steps in there that happened, some more very providential things um, mm. that I 
worked at the Augustine Institute when the doors mm -hmm. were opening. I was the only full-time employee at the Augustine Institute. And wow. so, yeah, so they had me do some video stuff for them because I was local. They knew me. They knew my, like, you know, my, um, my education background, all that kind of stuff. And so I, I did some white disciple video things. So all of a sudden it looked like I was like, really far along because I had a CD and I was in these video series when in reality it was just like right place, right time. And God just kept that going. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's so true for so many things um, with, you have to kind of look at what's pursuing you. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. My journey into reality TV was very, very much that way. I did not even leave my house to, to book this reality TV show. Like it was, I didn't even try. And yeah. you know, that's, that's so interesting. I mean, and now there's a lot of people trying to be Catholic speakers who really aspire to it. And so that's, that was yeah. definitely a God thing to just like put you right there and just shoot you right up to the top. Um, totally. And, People ask me all the time, like, how do I become a Catholic speaker? I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I just had somebody ask me that at the LA Congress and I was like, well, yep. I'm not sure what to say. It's such an unusual, it's like, you, it's a call. It yeah. is. Yes, definitely. That's cool. And then with the book call, because you said writing doesn't really give you joy. Was it something that you just kind of felt on your heart and you were like, I just got to do this? Yes. So it was after Seek, I always get my, my dates wrong. Seek 2015. Yes. Seek 2015. I was home. It was a couple weeks after the conference and I was praying for everyone who had attended and they just had been on my mind a lot. And, um, I was actually at, in the moment that the call came, I was just meditating on the gospel, uh, for the week. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden the Lord just kind of spoke to me and said, you know where they're at, right? And I was like, um, yes, Lord, I think I know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, the, like, the, those who had attended the conference, he's like, you know where they're at. Because it had been three weeks. And anytime you have these mountaintop experiences, about two to three weeks afterwards, the highs faded and things can tend to go back to normal if you don't have a concrete plan. Yes. And so... Um, like what the Lord was referring to, and I knew what he was talking about, was that it'd been two to three weeks and, and they were at that point of, okay, I know my worth, I know my value, I know how I should be living, but I have no idea how to do it. Yes. And um, so that thought came to me and I was like, yeah, someone should write a book on how do you go from wanting it, meaning like living a chase life, to being free to live it. And I was like, that's a good idea, God. Someone should write that book. <laughs> and yeah. For three weeks, I sat on it. I didn't even tell it to my husband. I just was like, I can't do that. Who am I? What do I know? Mm. And finally, I told Kevin because it was just not going away. And he was like, Lisa, like, you've got to do it. Like, If the Lord and the Holy Spirit are pushing you and calling you to this, we'll figure it out. Like, You can do it. If you put you know, your trust in the Lord and allow the Holy Spirit to guide you, you can do it. So I ended up writing about 80% of the book in adoration. Um, wow. yeah, just because I, it was a task that was beyond my talent at a natural level. <laughs> um, but he had been preparing me oh. for it cause I had been yeah. writing some blog posts for focus and had been kind of sharpening that skill. Um, mm. gotcha. and yeah, so I just, it just took one step and that worked. And so I took the next step and that worked. And the whole time I was like, Lord, if at any point you want to crush this, go for it because mm. whatever you want, if you don't want it, that's cool. Yeah. And so much of what you said there is beautiful. And with regard to discernment, whereas um, like, I know I always wanted the big answer 
when I'm discerning any decision. And sometimes it's just take a step and then take another step and then take another step. Absolutely. Um, Yes. And I love what you said too, about just feeling that conviction in your heart and you can't exactly describe, you know, it's obviously coming from God, but it's kind of like tuning into a sixth, sixth sense. Um, it, it reminds me of this call to do this podcast because I just kept having these thoughts like, Ooh, that would be, that would be a good podcast episode about discernment. And that would be another good podcast episode and it just wouldn't go away. And so, um, I feel like that's good for breaking up, but also for many other decisions that we might discern. So yeah. With that, let's get into let's get into dating detox. So I want to start with one story that you shared in the book, and it's about a girl struggling with chastity who avoided facing God's will because she knew that it was going to require her to give up her lifestyle and make some tough choices. And it wasn't until she prayed, God, I just don't like your plan, that she could truly begin to make progress. It wasn't until she really got honest with the fact that she actually didn't like what she was being called to. So how can honesty really help us in our discernment? I mean, I think that's the first step of any discernment process is an honest prayer life. (laughs) You know, like Mm -hmm. we can hide all we want, but God knows our hearts. Like he knows Mm -hmm. if we're giving him the reins or not. And But for her to be able to admit, admit that, like, gave her that freedom. And so I think it's, it's so important that that is the first step that kind of holding on loosely, like I was just talking about, like, even with a relationship, you know, like, mm-hmm. hey, God, like, this is what I want. But if it's not what you want, could you change my heart? Like, could, could you mm-hmm. change my heart? And, like, and she didn't in this particular story, um, yeah, like, she didn't want, like, what God wanted. She was like, she yeah. finally had to admit it to be able to say, like, yep, this is where I'm at. And I need your grace to do what I know I need to do. Mm-hmm. Yes. Amen to that. And that actually is a perfect segue to my next question, which is a story about Andrea really wants to date this guy named Jake, despite her dating fast that she's on. Um, but she prayed, God, if it's not your will, then please take him away from me. And then he started dating another girl shortly thereafter. So sometimes God doesn't we, we get honest with God, we surrender it to God, and then it works out that God actually doesn't give us what we're asking for. So it seems like in cases like that, it can be really easy to be angry at God, but it really involves trusting in God's plan more than your own. So how do you, how do you get to that point where you're okay with losing someone? <laughs> yeah, Ooh, uh, big that, question. Right, that's like that's like next level sainthood right there. Um, yeah. yeah, but I think it's it's truly believing that God knows you better than you know yourself. Mm. Um, I think it's so easy to sometimes think like, "No, God, I know what's best for me," and I, I do this all the time. Like just mm-hmm. this last month, I had that conversation with God. Like, I know you think this is better, but I'm pretty sure it's not. And <laughs> like you're right. You know yourself better than I know you. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I, I think it's really, um, remembering those times where God has shown you and proven to you that he knows you better than you know yourself and like Mm -hmm. keeping those tucked in the back of your mind. So when you question where he's leading you or what he's calling you to, you can go, okay, listen, he was right before. Mm -hmm. Why am I doubting him now? Um, yeah, and that surrender, it's, it's just, it's constant. It's every step of the way. It's every day. It's not a one time, one and done. I gave my life to Jesus. No, no, no. Every day you got to do that. Every day you got to say, Lord, your will, not mine. 
Yes. In fact, it reminds me, this isn't a relationship story, but just of auditioning for NYU. I really, really wanted to go to college there and I was studying musical theater and I didn't know that I was not ready for New York City. My spiritual life was not ready for NYU musical Mm -hmm. theater. (laughs) I had done a summer program there and I loved it, but I look back now and I'm like, thank God I didn't get in. Mm, yeah, Thank God yeah. I got in other places and not there. And I was just crushed when I did not get in there. But mm-hmm. it works out so much better because I think now of my experience in New York when I moved there at age 22 and I was like, oh man, thank God I didn't come here at 18. This little like homeschooled Catholic school girl, mm-hmm. like so wide-eyed and naive. I would have been, you know, chewed up and spit back out. <laughs> and God really knew, even though it hurts so much in the moment. Um, so yeah, it sounds like maybe kind of journaling would help with what you're saying, like looking back and looking at times when God knew you better than you knew yourself and like really writing those down might be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then you document it. Cause it's so easy to forget. You're like, yes. Oh, in this moment, you're like, God is real and I know it and he's taking care of me. But then two months later, you're like, God hates me. <laughs> you're like, <laughs> yes. You're like, no, no, go back. Go back to where you were. Don't forget that. Just because you don't feel that way in this moment, right? Feelings can be misleading does not mean it's not real. And that's where you have to remind yourself, like, this is a feeling. This is an emotion that's happening to me, but I can choose how I'm going to respond to it. And I'm going to respond with hope and I'm going to respond with trust. Yes. And our brains have this negativity bias, which has to do with survival. It's this kind of archaic leftover survival mechanism. And so we can jump right to that negativity and self-preservation when in fact, being maintaining trust, it's like you kind of have to put a bookmark in your book of like where you wrote down the God, that God's plan was better than what you knew. You have to like know exactly where to go to get that because in the mm-hmm. moment, you're, that's not going to be your first thought probably. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. All right. So this maybe is too broad a question, but I'm just going to go for it. If you struggle with chastity in a relationship, is that a sign you should definitely break up? <laughs> uh, I love the absoluteness of it. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I mean, I think anytime we try to do absolutes when it comes to um, certain, well, I, I was going to say the moral life. No, there are moral absolutes. So that's not right. Um, here's, okay, here's what I think it comes down to. I think um, if you struggle with chastity, the question is, are you struggling and just like drowning in it and not even trying? Or are you struggling and fighting? So those are two different things, right? So if it's just like, and, and keeping in mind that both parties have to be fighting. That's yes. the big difference to me. I feel like sometimes in relationships, I'll have people come to me and they're like, like the guy and he's like, my girlfriend, like, I, I want to stop doing these things. I want to stop sleeping together. I want to stop having makeout sessions that lead to X, Y, or Z. But my girlfriend isn't on board with that. Mm. So like, what do I do to convince her? And I'm like, well, like she has to make that decision for herself and vice versa because only you can change you. you nobody else can change you. Like you are in charge of your actions. And so I would say if you are in a relationship where you're like, I, the, these are the values that I want to hold in, um, in our physical relationship. Like, I feel like, you know, we're crossing these boundaries or whatever it is. If your other partner, for lack of a better word, disagrees, well then yeah, you should definitely break up because Mm. God's will is never for you to sin. 
Mm-hmm. And if that person leads you to sin, then that's not what God wants. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Like God's will is yes. never for you to sin. Therefore, if it's causing you to sin, then it's not what God wants. Mm-hmm. Very black and white there. However, if you are both like trying, you're really trying, you're taking it to prayer, you're taking it to confession, you're fasting, you're praying, you're putting parameters around the things that lead you into temptation, those things that trigger you and set you up, and you are really trying, well then maybe this is like God trying to purify you guys and trying to help you get to that point. So maybe you definitely should not break up. Right. <laughs> um, so you can, you know, maybe this is where God's calling you to grow as a couple. And if you're both striving it for together, something beautiful could come out of that. Mm-hmm. I always kind of thought as the girl, I was like, oh, well, this is how, you know, guys are really, vis- you know, God made guys with this, you know, this higher sex drive than women generally. And I'd heard these things and I, I kind of like had a lot of, um, like a lot of sympathy, but not in the right way. It was sort of like, oh, well, you know, I should be the one who's like really, you know, holding the line. And, and I thought that I kind of had to do all of that work myself. Um, Mm -hmm. whereas now I see that like with my husband and then I did have one boyfriend who was very, very honorable and we broke up for, because we just weren't right for each other, but he was really, um, he was really a good, a good person. And, and, uh, my husband especially was so with me in that struggle for, for chastity that um, he would make sure that we just didn't even get into situations where yeah. that could be compromised. And, you know, and, and so now I look back and I'm like, man, there's a lot of guys out there who might say, and, and I'm sure girls too, this is just purely my perspective, but I met a lot of guys who would say at the beginning, they believed in these things and then not really follow through. So if you're, you know, if you're not, um, struggling together, like you said, you know, don't be afraid to really insist on that because it's, um, you don't owe your body to anyone. Yeah. yeah. And what I found, I found too, that like couples who struggle together struggle less because it's like, yes. mm-hmm. we're on the same page. So we're just not going to go there. We're just not going to like lay down on a couch in a dark room where nobody can interrupt us and watch a movie for three hours and think that we're not going to have any kind of temptations, you know? Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. So it's like when you're in it together and you are on the same page, um, yeah, you, mm-hmm. you're, you're setting yourself up for success in a different way. Totally. Yes. So we have a listener question, um, which is that we have a lot of options nowadays. Um, And one young lady shared with me that she has the option to go to grad school, but that would mean three years of long distance dating with her boyfriend. So again, this is a general, this is just a general question, but what advice do you have for her on a good discernment process of that decision? Should she, you know, um, what questions should she be asking for continuing the relationship or ending it and going to grad school or turning it down? Wow, that's a loaded question. I know, um, I know. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm throwing some hard ones at you today. Oh, no, that's totally fine. I'm just trying to think. So like not knowing some these these people personally, it makes it really hard to give advice. So I'm not going to say like, honey, pursue your dreams, forget the man, like right. the world would say, right? Um, because that might not be the case, you know? Right. Um, totally. I Okay. So it sounds like there's some absolutes going on here in her mind. Mm-hmm. It's they're like, either it's like, like I'm going to grad school or, or we have to break up or we have to do long distance. Like, is, is there another option for you? Um, mm-hmm. as you're discerning this through, like, do you have to go to that grad school? That's really far away mm-hmm. or could your boyfriend potentially 
get a job in the city where you're moving to so you guys can stay together and continue to discern this relationship. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's what's required of relationships to continue them. And sometimes that's what the Lord asks of us is to take those leaps of faith and um, do something big. Um, but if you're kind of like, I don't know, like we're kind of into each other, but you know, maybe it won't work. Okay. Well maybe you try the long distance thing and yeah, like we don't miss each other enough. Like we don't need each other enough. Mm -hmm. This isn't hard enough that I look at my life and go, I can't imagine it without you. And, um, so there's just a lot to think about in the situation. Yeah. Um, not knowing like, have they been together for three years or did they just start dating two months ago? Um, right. And, you know, I, I, there might be an instance where I would say like, yeah, turn down grad school. If it's like, you know what, we've been dating for three years. We know we're called to marriage. Um, okay. Well, then just get married. Like, <laughs> right. You know, like, what are you waiting for? Um, yeah. If God wants you to go to grad school, like he's going to find a way if that's mm -hmm. his will. But more importantly, I think would be your vocation to married life if it's really clear that that's where you're headed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you gave so much good stuff there. I know it was a huge question. And I guess um, it's, go it's good what you said because they're good things to think about and to put them, you know, to put them in a truthful, uh, a truthful place and, and just um, give her the, the questions that will lead to a good discernment process is what you did there, which is great. Um, and I, I think that another... Um, this kind of ties into a bigger point, which is like, we're, we're kind of told to go for our dreams a lot. And that is a great thing. You know, we live in the United States, America, we have a lot of options. We're told, you know, go after your dreams. And we're kind of a, a culture American of dream. Yes, self-made people. And that's great. But I think what we're seeing in our culture a lot is people delaying getting married. Um, and so they're really holding off on marriage until they've got maybe their, um, you know, their, their degrees and their career and everything. Um, so, yeah, so I think it's, it's, it's hard. It's really hard for young people because a lot of people will tell them, you know, don't wait around for a man or whatever, you know, go for your dreams. Um, but yeah, I think uh, just to add to what you said, like looking back on your life, would you regret, you know, breaking up with this man to go to grad school or, or would you regret even distancing yourself for three years to go to grad school or, would you, you know, um, looking back, would you be happy that you took the grad school option? So kind of looking at your deathbed is kind of something, it's dark, but it's helpful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Go and I'm, I'm even thinking about my own life here. And like, I, I, I hate it when, when people think like, oh, well, marriage means it's like the end of my life or something. Or like, yeah. What's yeah. my life is over. Like, I am such a testament to the fact that that's not true. Like, yeah. I got married at 22 straight out of college and a year later I had a baby. I already mentioned that. What I didn't mention is that um, I had my dream job lined up, uh, which, which at that time at 22 was I wanted to be a theology teacher. I had that lined up. Mm. And my husband... Like we got engaged and he said, listen, Lisa, I really feel called to grad school. And I feel like it's either we do this now or it's just going to make it harder later. Mm. And so I went and told them, I'm sorry, I can't take this job. And we ended up moving um, out of our home state to Colorado. This was the Augustine Institute was just opening up. He was in the first graduating class there. I was working there and that led and opened up 
unbelievable opportunities and doors that would have never opened up Mm. if I had said, listen, you're crushing my dreams. I can't believe you're trying to control me or like, well, we need to wait to get married until you're done with grad school because that's going to destroy what I think my life is supposed to look like. And this might sound harsh. I hope this girl isn't taking this as like, oh, so you think I'm a selfish, mean person. I don't. I don't, honey. I don't know your story enough to be able to tell you like great advice. But what I can tell you and anybody else who's listening is like, I have had so many dreams come true that I didn't even know I had when, <laughs> right? you know, that, that you would think like, yep, if you get married young and start having kids, you're never going to be able to pursue your passions. Like mm-hmm. I've written a book. I travel the country speaking. Mm-hmm. I'm in grad school right now. And that was something I always wanted to do, but I knew that straight out of college, it wouldn't make sense for both of us to go to grad school. And so, yeah, it took me 14 years later, now 13 years later to start grad school. But like that dream wasn't lost, gone forever. It just was at a different time. And that's what I'm working on right now is getting my master's. Oh, fantastic. Yes, I agree with all of that. I, I think there's this idea that like you should do all this stuff when you're single. And then maybe it's just the Catholic bubble. But like once you get married, you know, you have to settle down, have your babies and not do anything else. And I think just, um, the world is, the world does not, your world does not have to shrink to the size of your four walls. You're not a prisoner. <laughs> like you mm-hmm. said, mm-hmm. totally agree. And I agree too, that like with, with having been married, you know, cause I did, I did get married when I was 27. So I was pursuing my, my career for a while. And I will say I was, I was not as happy when I was pursuing my career and doing all these things that everybody thought should make me happy. Um, and then I, I got married and I have to say the personal growth that has come from that decision and the, um, the stability of having, of having John is such a beautiful thing. I would never, ever trade it. And, you know, be having a partnership is, is such a beautiful thing and we do pursue our dreams together. So mm-hmm. good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay. Another listener question for you. So does a good discernment of married life focus on your ability to partner with that person or on founding a family together? In other words, how much is about the marriage and how much is about the kids? I mean, I think um, in order of priority, I think they flow from each other. So, right. Mm -hmm. So like first and foremost, like your vocation is as, as is wife and mother, like the order of priorities, like if you were to like list them out, like the traditional order of priorities is like first your relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it comes like, uh, this sounds so like new agey, but it's true. It's like your, your own self care. Like you need to be taking care of yourself at your basic yeah. needs. And then comes your, your spouse and then your children. Like that's, that's mm-hmm. like the proper order of things. But the thing is, is if you have a solid bedrock of your marriage founded, um, well and in rooted in Christ, then like that's just going to overflow into your kids. Mm -hmm. And so it's not even like a either or it's like, do this and that will be taken care of. Um, You know, take care of your marriage, make sure that your marriage is strong because if your marriage is falling apart, then that's going to pour out into your kids like crazy and it's going to cause all kinds of heartache and hurt. And so, yeah, I mean at, at our house, like when Kevin comes home, we, we call it retiring to the office. Like he comes home, he mm-hmm. says hi to the kids, but unless dinner's like instantly ready and we've got something to do, we come into my office and we spend 15 minutes catching up and the kids have to wait to say like, here's my day, dad. I want to tell you everything. Cause it's mm-hmm. first Kevin and I need to catch up. And 
we often bring in a drink um, since it's Lent. Um, it's just water these days, but <laughs> I'm really looking forward to Easter season when we yes. can bring in a glass of wine or something. And yes. Um, and we just catch up for like 15 minutes. That way we can go to dinner feeling like, yep, okay, we know what's going on. And then we, he can like pour into the kids. And um, yeah, so I mean, that's, yeah, that's the way we do it. And I, I firmly believe like if Kevin and I are off, then I'm not going to be on for my kids and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you really love someone, I, I imagine part of the reason you'd be attracted to them is because they have the qualities of a good father. Yes. You know? I mean, you can't, you can't know for sure until they become a father. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of the, a lot of the qualities of a good husband are also the qualities of a good father too. So mm-hmm. they, they compliment yeah. totally. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's get back to dating detox, um, which is the 40 day challenge of, um, of getting a lot of ideas and concepts straight in your head that are often so twisted in this imperfect world we live in. So um, you talk about love versus use, and that's a big topic in the book. So just give us maybe a couple of quick ways that you might learn or understand if you are loving someone or if you are using someone. Yes. Yeah. So this is really foundational for the detox. Um, and just kind of a quick little clarity point on the detox, the, it's not you that are toxic. Um, that's not what the book is about. It's our world that's toxic. And whether you're engaging in the dating culture or not, it affects us. And our world says, hey, um, love, quote unquote, is all about feeling good, all about the emotional side of it. Like that's first and foremost. You know, if you don't feel fulfilled, then you get out of a marriage, right? Like mm. it, that is the foundation. Um, and so this use it starts um, in dating. And we have such a hookup culture that says, um, you know, no strings attached. Like this isn't a big deal. It's mutual agreement that you're going to gain this pleasure from each other. And it's no big deal. But it is a big deal <laughs> because mm. human hearts weren't made for that. Like we were not made to be used. We're not objects. We're not things. We're immortal souls that were created to live forever in heaven. Mm-hmm. So like we just, it does not jive no matter how much we try to tell ourselves or convince ourselves. So how do you know if you're loving or using someone? It really comes down to, are you willing their good? Which is a very theological way of putting it. But mm-hmm. St. Thomas Aquinas would say, to love is to will the good of another. Mm-hmm. We all know we have free will, right? So we have the ability to choose. So to will someone's good, in a sense, means to choose someone's good, mm-hmm. even if that means a sacrifice. So what you have to ask yourself is, like, am I willing their good no matter what? Am mm-hmm. I wanting what's best for them, not um, what I selfishly desire to fulfill that is potentially a twisted version of what love is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, yeah, that's kind of the foundation of, of what you're looking for. Yeah. And, and that's not only physical because I think we can, it's a, it's pretty, pretty easy to see, like, am I using someone physically? You, you know, you can, you can answer that pretty quickly, but then a little bit trickier is, am I using someone emotionally? Absolutely. Yeah. And we can easily do this um, because uh, we desperately want to love and be loved. Mm-hmm. And that's not a bad thing. Like God created us to love and be loved, but it can become a problem if we're using somebody else emotionally to try to get a counterfeit version of that love. And that can come about in so many ways. I, we spent a whole week in the book talking about the emotions and how the emotional passions can be 
um, deceived and twisted or, or blind us from the reality of who somebody is or can lead mm-hmm. us into use because we're not really in the relationship because we're trying to like help them get to heaven. We're in it because we're trying to fill a void. <laughs> and, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a big sign of breakup if you can recognize like, oh, wow, like I'm in this relationship for the wrong reasons, then mm-hmm. um, there you go. Like that's something to pray about. Totally. Yeah. And you also discuss in the book, um, and I thought this was a great discernment tool for really any decision, not just, you know, breaking up or dating or anything, but um, the, the function and the interactions between the intellect, the will, and the passions. So can you just kind of unpack that for me? Yeah, I love talking about these things. So this is like great. philosophical stuff here. Yes. Um, but every human has been created with certain what the church would call faculties or philosophers would call faculties. There's other words for it, but I'm going to use faculties. And the basic, like, again, this is where it gets tricky because I know that there are some philosophers out there who are going to be like, well, technically, according to Aristotle, <laughs> it's like, okay, I get it. There's lots of ways you can slice it, but this is how the catechism talks about it. So that's what we're going to do. So <laughs> Good basis. Yes. So the intellect is our ability to, to think, right? It's what makes us rational beings. We can reason through something and make conscious decisions. Unlike an animal who just goes off of like uh, instincts, right? Mm, right? And then the will is our ability to choose. And that is um, what uh, those two together, the intellect and the will are what we call our higher faculties. And we share these, oh gosh, I'm going to geek out forever on this if you don't stop me, but um, <laughs> I keep going. Yeah. So the intellect and the will, we share that with angels. So angels mm-hmm. have an intellect and a will like we have an intellect and will, but no other of God's creations have an intellect and a will, which is why some of the angels mm-hmm. chose against Christ. They have that ability or, or God, you know, they have that ability to choose, mm-hmm. um, which God gave them and us too. So the intellect can choose, or sorry, the intellect can reason properly and say, this is what we should do. But the will doesn't have to consent to that. It can say, yep, that is the right thing to do, but I'm not doing it. I mean, how often do we do that, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, like Lent is a, a great way of revealing all of my, yes, all of the ways we- my will is not on board with the intellect. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Like I know I should break up with this person, but the will's like, but we're not doing it. Like <laughs> nice, nice try. And then we have the passions. These are our lower faculties. And this is what we share with the animals. So the angels don't have passions. They don't have, um, passions meaning desires which can be i break it down just simply to physical passions and emotional passions so physical desires and emotional desires Mm. but the animals they have those um they you know i need to eat i need to reproduce that's passions are not bad god gave them to us that's what makes us part of being a human being but if our passions our desires are not directed by our intellect and properly chosen by our will then our passions lead us astray and that's where we end up in situations of heartache because we you know, it, it's not like we should ignore our passions, right? But if we just follow our heart and totally ignore the fact that our intellect is saying, but that's going to lead to danger, right? Like, mm-hmm. then we're not going to, we're not going to achieve the happiness that we're trying to pursue, which in every decision, everything we do, right? We're trying to seek happiness. Like nobody, mm-hmm. nobody does anything going, I hope this makes me miserable. So like, Mm. Even bad things we do, we're like, I think this is going to make me happy. But that's where the problem is, is if, if our passions are not properly directed by our intellect and will, then we end up in trouble. And we live in a world where our world is flipped it upside down completely. And yeah. we say our passions should be leading the way. And then our intellect, um, we have to suppress it because, you know, it's, we have to let go of our inhibitions. And it's like, 
no, sometimes inhibitions are good. Like, Right. That's what I was going to say, actually. I was, I, as you were talking, I was like, man, we are living in an age of emotion where we've got this, this kind of Disney idea of love where if you don't feel in love, then you aren't in love. And um, I, think, I think getting lost in all of that is, is peace. You know, peace is so mm-hmm. underrated and peace comes from, from a, a right discernment where, you know, your intellect is satisfied. It's not being suppressed. It's, it's, um, and that's the beauty of, of a good relationship or a good marriage is like your intellect and your will and your passions are all working together well, and they're all fulfilled. Um, but I've never heard it expressed quite that way. So, it's, you know, thank you for all of that. That's really, that kind of gives me a new frame to think of um, this whole discernment thing in. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so often when you like someone, like your passions are just raging and you're like, it's so hard to get to that intellectual place mm-hmm. of knowing like, okay, this person, this person really does have these qualities that I think they have. And they really would be good for me on a, on a, a real life level, not just, oh my gosh, you're so attractive <laughs> and cute mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, which is a good lead into my next question about, let's talk about your husband's really great dance abilities. you had this great story in the book where you said that when you first saw him on the dance floor you were like he is he is a fantastic dancer and then what happened yeah Yeah. so uh well so that was like when we were just friends but I was like secretly admiring him from afar Mm -hmm. and then we started dating and like it started to wane a bit and I was like man he's losing his rhythm and then we got engaged and I'm like wait a minute like is did I make that up and then by the time we were married I was like yeah I made that up like he's not a great dancer but what I had done and this is something I'm exposing this to the world I'm sorry oh it's in the book so it's already been exposed (laughs) that's true we laugh about it um yeah but you know so what I had done is I had projected some quality that that quality onto him because it was a quality that I desired in a in a boyfriend and a future spouse. It was something that I wanted. And so when I saw like a little glimmer of it, I blew it out of proportion and said like, yep, he's got it. Mm-hmm. And this is something JP too observed. This is where this came from. When I like how I came to this observation was through Pope John Paul II and his book, Love and Responsibility talks about this, how, how we find qualities in people and we, we blow them out of a proportion as a rule. Like, it's not like, well, you might do this. He's like, no, like, we do this to the people that we, you know, our beloveds. Like we, we just mm. naturally blow out a proportion how awesome they are, or what qualities they have based upon what we desire. And so this can be really dangerous um, for big things. For little things like dancing, we can laugh about it, right? Right. If it's a right. big thing, and we're like, no, they're really into their faith because you saw them go to mass one Sunday, you know, like, (laughs) right. (laughs) But then when you really get to know them, you're like, Oh wait, they aren't into their faith. That becomes more of a serious thing or whatever it is. Like, yeah, they're really into supporting me and my chastity. And then, you know, push comes to shove and you're like, Oh, I projected that onto them because I wanted them to be that way as opposed to them actually being that way. Right. So when, as you're realizing these things, I think it's natural to feel fear because you're realizing that this may not be this fairy tale romance that you had at first had, um, you know, had envisioned. So handling that realization, um, should you feel fear? And does that mean it's time to break up or how do you transform that, that fear and, and, uh, and, and live in honesty in a, in a much more clear and, um, uh, seeing that person more clearly. Sorry, that was confusing. 
<laughs> yeah, no, no, you're good. It's yeah. been a long day. <laughs> I, I agree. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think it comes down to, you know, is it a non-negotiable or not? You know, there's certain mm-hmm. things like, oh, he can't dance. Like, okay, well, I, mean, I think it's, it, it's good and we need to make lists of um, like, these are the things that I desire in a future spouse. But we also have to be realistic about what's on that list and what's superficial and what's actually non-negotiable, right? So dancing... Right was not actually non-negotiable. <laughs> like, so, so that was not like, he can't actually dance, like it's over, you know? Like, <laughs> right? But if you realize like, oh, like this person lies all the time to me. Like, mm-hmm. and now my eyes are finally open to it because we've been in the relationship long enough and like I can't project onto them that they're an honest person anymore because I've caught them too many times in lies. Okay, well, now that's something really serious. And mm-hmm. unless if they are in a place where they're actively trying very hard to change that um, damaging habit, you got to get out. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, good stuff. And I remember thinking as a young person that as I was dating and I felt this fear of breaking up, there was always this thought in my head, and this totally came from the devil, not from God that you know there's not that many there's not that many good catholic guys out there and if this person isn't right for you you may not ever find anyone ever again so what would you say to those people who are maybe feeling that fear absolutely oh gosh okay mm-hmm. it's so hard can i just first say that to those people like especially to the women there are not enough good catholic men and i know that's scary but it needs to be said mm-hmm. and i remember having these standards that were, were pretty high. And my mom um, and I, one day we're discussing this and she's okay if I st- share this story, but I was talking about how like, I don't remember what, I don't remember what the standard was that I was talking about, but it, it was something that I was adamant about. Like, well, the guy that I marry is going to X, Y, or Z. And my mm-hmm. mom was like, Lisa, like your standards are so high. Do you think like you're ever going to find someone who can meet them? Mm-hmm. I said, you know what, mom? If I don't, then I won't get married. Like, mm. that's as easy as it is. Like, I would rather not get married than marry into a bad compromising situation just for the yes. sake of being married because I guarantee that would be more miserable. And that's hard to see when you're single, super mm-hmm. hard to see when you're single. And it totally stinks that there are not enough good men out there. That, yeah, there are some women, and this is so hard to hear. I know, I know, I know. But there are some women who are almost like, having to like take the brunt of the fact that we have not been pushing people to live virtue enough. And, and unfortunately um, there are just, there are women who, who are taking the hit for that and they don't get married until much later in life. And sometimes they don't ever get married, but mm-hmm. I, I know this is super serious and heavy, but like you really got to think about it. like, would I rather be in a bad marriage or not married? Mm, true. Yes. Yes. And you know what, what's really hopeful? <laughs> that, yeah, let's that go hopeful because that was depressing. <laughs> there may not be enough Catholic guys, but there's a lot of really good convents. <laughs> <laughs> true. It's true. And, and actually, you know what? I think a lot of people, um, I was just talking with a friend about this last night. She was taught by nuns 
And she was never, they never encouraged her to discern a religious vocation. And she's like, I never discerned a religious vocation. I wish I had had those experiences. She actually watched my reality show and she was like, you know, minus the cameras, but I wish I had had the experiences you had, Mm -hmm. like going to a convent and actually living that life and like really learning how to surrender yourself to God. And I always say like young people, you know, if, if you're really, if you haven't checked off absolutely that God is not calling you to religious life or the priesthood. Like you should discern that first because um, God is not really, you know, he's not just a backup option. God is your first option. And if you give him your heart, you will never ever lose. Um, And to your, to your point about there not being enough Catholic guys, it's interesting because I've actually heard, for some reason when my husband and I got married, we found like several really good Catholic men who were like looking for a wife. And for some reason, I don't know why, I don't know what's going on in State College, Pennsylvania, but there is a, like a lot, you go to daily mass, there's a ton of guys there and they like hardly any young single women. I don't know why. So there are, I've seen instances where, where they're actually, the men really outnumber the women. And I remember talking to my single guy friends and then being like, I can't find a good girl. So I know it exists on both sides. Um, and that's a, a beautiful thing about online dating. You know, I know that like it's, you want the story where like you lock eyes in a coffee shop, you know, and <laughs> you want that, you know, you don't, re- some people don't really want that story of like, we met on, you know, a dating website. But I think if we're being real about it, you know, that's an option too, if you really feel like you are called to get married. And I've encouraged some friends to, to try online dating and they found their spouses that's how my husband and I found each other. And we would never, you know, we would never have found each other otherwise. Um, mm, yeah. Really... I have several friends who met through mm-hmm. a Catholic online site. Yeah. yeah. I think it's yeah. important to remember too, like marriage is not like the end all be all like supreme fulfillment of mm-hmm. life. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful for those who are called to it, but like to, to think that like, well, no life is complete unless you're married is a lie mm-hmm. because we have, priests and religious and single consecrated who are very fulfilled and happy in this life and who have love. It's not uh, physical erotic love, but you know, or like sexual love, but that doesn't mean that they don't have love in their life. It doesn't mean that they don't have authentic relationships in their life. Mm -hmm. Like, And they have intimacy as well. I just interviewed a consecrated single deacon, actually, who is, um, he's a permanent deacon, and he calls it, um, he calls intimacy into me see. Mm -hmm. And he was discussing how, you know, how that his authentic relationships really bring him that, that intimacy that, that his heart needs without having that physical side of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I think our world is just to find love in such a pigeonholed box that it's, it's a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how do you see like getting out of that box? Like, is it for me, I know it's like, it's adoration. It's just like being able to find that peace in the stillness. Um, Is there any other advice you have for young people who are trying to get out of their, um, you know, this, this mentality that they have to do what everybody else does or else they're a loser somehow um, and get into kind of God's vision for their life. How do you recommend doing that? I mean, that's the whole book right there. Like that's the 40 day process. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It's like, let's readjust our, our frame of thought. Let's readjust what we think love is based upon what the world has defined it at. Or maybe we have some, some like thoughts about it because we've, you know, done a theology, the body study, or we are engaged in our faith. But what the book does is it walks you through very methodically step by Mm -hmm. step 
okay, let's go through a process here and let's be intentional about it for 40 days, which is Mm. a long time to allow yourself to really seep yourself in like, how has what the world says about love, dating, marriage, and sex affected me? How have my past experiences that have scarred me or have left me with wounds affected my ability to see clearly the truth of, of, of God's plan and vision for love, dating, and sex and all that. And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's really like what the book is for. Um, yeah. So in the book, every day we have the detox challenge at the end of the day. So there's something practical that you do because I am all about the practical, not just the theological, theological heady stuff, but like, okay, let's bring this down. Let's make it applicable. So yeah, some of those things are, yeah, going to prayer about it. Um, but also we, I t- like some of the challenges are things like uh, building up some community, having a girl's night or a guy's night. I think those things help us see more clearly the reality of our situations. Um, uh, journaling can be great. It's not for everybody, right? But mm-hmm. it can be a great way to express yourself if, if you feel like that helps you. Um, uh, making like sacrifices um, mm. gives us, it puts us in a disposition of grace to be able to see more clearly. Calling on a patron saint uh, to be your your patron saint of your, of your love life, you know, uh, having that person you call on. And there's all kinds of things that you can practically do to, to really help Mm -hmm. about that piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great stuff. One final question for you. So in the book, you tell the story of this time when you realize that when you pictured your future, your boyfriend from high school was just never in it. You were picturing your life in college and you were so excited about it, but he just didn't have a place there. And that was kind of a moment of real honesty for you in, in terms of kind of the vision that you, that you had. So you kind of, um, that led you to a realization about, you know, there's only two things that can happen in a relationship. <laughs> you yes. break up or you stay together <laughs> and yep. it goes, you know, the relationship is, is your marriage. So what is the, what is the point of dating, you know, and how does picturing your future really help you discern if it's time to break up? Yeah. So, I mean, the ultimate point of dating is to find out whether or not you're going to marry this person, right? Like, or else if you know you're not going to marry them and you know it, then eventually you will break up. So you're really just kind of wasting time mm-hmm. for both parties because there might be somebody different out there that God's trying to introduce you to, but you're so hung up on sticking with this other relationship that you know is not right, but you're not ready to let go of it yet. Mm-hmm. So really you got to um, be willing to um, recognize like when it's like, yeah, at this point I know that there's no future with this person. Like that's when you need to break up yeah. um, as hard as it is. Now that doesn't mean that the first date you go on, you better know you're going to marry this person. Like that's, that's mm-hmm. not how we do it. That's, that's certain Protestant style and that's not how we do it as Catholics, but you need to have hope that there's a potential that they could one day become your future spouse. And you can only know so much when you're just starting to get to know someone, especially in a situation like yours where you guys were dating on Catholic match. Like you couldn't tell from his profile, like, yes, I will marry this guy. You know, it was like, Oh yeah, never. Like like, nothing on there. (laughs) Yeah. Three pictures. Yeah. Totally. Like you had to go to coffee and talk and you had to go out to dinner and you had to see him hanging out with his friends. Like, you, you had to go step by step, but at any point in those step by step processes, you realize like, oh yeah, like this is not, this is not going to be forever. Then that's when you say, okay, then like this isn't right anymore. Um, so it's just, it's just being open to that. And there might be times where you're like, I'm not sure yet. 
that's fine. Like you keep, keep, keep dating until you do know like whether or not you're going to marry this person. But as soon as you know, you're not, it's over. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to continue a relationship and to put your emotions and your heart on the line and to take up his time and your time, if you're only just having fun or just, you know, being in the relationship for the sake of it, then it's, it's dragging it on. Yeah. Yeah. Go have fun in other ways, not at the expense of someone's heart. Right. And be brave. Do what you know you need to do. Anything else you want to share? Oh gosh. Um, I would just say if, if, and this isn't, okay, first of all, if you ever want to write a Catholic book, that's not where you're going to make all your money. So just get that out of your mind. So I'm not <laughs> trying to like sell books here, but um, we've all been affected and, and I've seen and heard so many beautiful testimonies of those who have gone through the detox and just what a transformation it's allowed to happen in their heart through the Holy Spirit. And so I would just say, you know, if you're listening to this conversation and you're like, yeah, I've got some junk to work through. Or yeah, I really think with the mind of the world when it comes to dating in this area, mm. uh, check out the book. You can get, um, if you go to my website, madetomagnify.com, you can sign up and get the introduction and the um, preface. Why can't I remember? Not preface. Is that the right word? Uh, the forward? <laughs> forward. Thank you. Yeah, okay. yeah, which was written by um, Jason and Christina Ever. You can get that and the first three chapters and just see if it would be right for you. It starts out pretty basic, um, but it, it really walks you through that process step by step. Um, mm-hmm. And it might be a good way for you to discern. And people always ask me like, well, what if I'm in a relationship? Can I do the detox? And the answer is, yeah, absolutely. In fact, mm-hmm. That might be a good thing to do. I've heard of people going through the detox and going, I've really confirmed that I'm in the right spot. Or by the time it was over, we broke up. And I'm really grateful because I was wasting their time and my time. Mm, Yes. Yes. So, so good and valuable to get that clarity. And this book will definitely give it to you if nothing else will. It requires you to get really honest. I loved it. Is there, um, I I know you also have the How To Catholic podcast, which I love listening to. There's always so many good nuggets in there. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, Yeah, yeah, anything you want to share about the podcast? Yeah, so my husband and I do it together. It's called How To Catholic, and we really kind of in the same vein as the book. We just talk about how do you practically live your Catholic faith with excellence, Mm -hmm. and um, we're very methodical in it. It's a very step-by-step kind of a process. Mm -hmm. We talk about Catholic topics. We also talk about non-Catholic topics, but how do we live our Catholic faith in the midst of those non-Catholic topics? Mm. Um, And then the other thing I do is I do a monthly liturgical lowdown. Love um, those. Those are so great. That's where I get like all my saint knowledge trivia and like, oh, it's so-and-so's feast day. Did you know this? And we can do this tradition in our family now. It's great. Exactly. That's what it is. I just, I feel like we are losing our Catholic culture at a rapid pace. And so the liturgical lowdown is there to help you re, um, relearn or learn for the first time our Catholic traditions and how do we live with the rhythms of the liturgy and the church and the feast days and all that. So, and there's so much, it's so rich with history and tradition oh, yeah. that we have. And, and, and I think most of us don't realize that it's just like, no. Or maybe we caught a glimpse of it, but like, unless you really search for it, it's hard to know what those traditions are. So it's a great one-stop place to get all of your liturgical living info. Lisa, it's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you for your time and for sharing all the beautiful things you did. Um, And I'm just so appreciative and grateful for your presence and for your ministry. Oh, thank you, Stacey. It was really fun being on. Great to chat with you. Thanks for all that you're doing. Oh, thank you. God bless. And we'll talk again soon, I'm sure. All right. God bless. 
Isn't she a delight? Oh, by the way, happy Easter. Forgot to mention that at the beginning because Notre Dame and all, but happy Easter. I hope you are enjoying it. As usual, I would so, so appreciate it if you would leave me a review on iTunes. It would make my day. So now we're just gonna do a little reflection here, a little sung reflection. Part of the tradition of the church, as you know, is chanting, and I love traditional Latin chant. So I'm gonna sing the Regina Celi, which is perfect for Easter. Queen of heaven, rejoice, for he whom you did merit to bear has risen as he said. Pray for us to God. Alleluia. Those are the lyrics. I hope you enjoy them. Here it is coming right up. God bless you, and I'll see you in two weeks. Regina Celi, letare, alleluia. Portare, alleluia. Resurrexit, sicut dixit.